0: Welcome back to Hire, everyone.
1: The podcast where we help you reach higher in your career and learn with and from experts in recruitment, entrepreneurship, marketing, and many more about what it takes to become a leader in your dream industry.
0: But first, play that funky music, Nikki Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> can I just say, I'm excited.
1: I can see that, Tom. But do you care to share exactly what you're excited about?
0: Because this is one of my favourite episodes to date. Mm-hmm.
1: It's rather yummy, isn't it? Let's not beat around the bush. What do we have in store today, Tom?
0: I'm so glad you asked. Today on the show is, and I'm going to destroy his name, Sutanchu, or for short, SADS, Saranwala, Chief Diversity Officer at Infarm. <coughs> Chief Impact Officer at Infarm. Gasp.
1: A company revolutionising sustainable agriculture through smart cities and vertical gardens.
0: Previously, Environmental Warrior Supreme with the WWF taking on giants such as the palm oil industry and ivory trade.
1: Here to tell you, dear audience member, all about a spectacular career and how you too can create a path in sustainability that's thrilling, pays the bills and secures our world for generations to come
0: like i said so excited let's go get it
1: we have the amazing suds on the show so excited about this one
0: i am so stoked thank you for joining us suds you know we have told the audience a little bit about yourself in our introduction um but please in your own words who are you what are you all about and what are you excited for let's say in the past seven days
2: wow all right well Thank you for having me here. It's brilliant. Uh, and uh, you're already starting off with challenging questions, so I love that. <laughs> uh, so I'm Saj. I, I do have, I've been called worse. I have a very long name. It's Sudhanshu Saranwala, if you want to try that. Uh, but it got abbreviated, you know, about 25 years ago in Hong Kong by an Australian who, as you know, they abbreviate everything. So it's <laughs> yeah. so, so that's me. Um, I currently work uh, for a uh, for a scale up operation of a company called Infarm, which is a vertical farming company, and it brings together all of my experience in sustainability, entrepreneurship, communications, and my love for technology. So, if I look back over my career, it's what I would call, or what other people would call, a non linear career, which consisted of a decade in the corporate sector a decade as a entrepreneur in the digital music space and a decade in the international NGO space. So privileged to have lived in India, Hong Kong, Singapore and in Switzerland and worked across pretty much every geography. So here we are in Switzerland right now.
1: With us in Switzerland too. Oh, that's amazing, Suds. So and I'm no doubt we're going to go through it, your whole career over the course, course of the podcast. Now, Suds, so we normally ask our 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 guests to keep a few of their most prized tactics that people often don't do, but they're going to have to absolutely do at the end of the show. So if you could keep those until the end, that would be fabulous because we want people to listen all the way to the end. Okay? Sure thing. (laughs) Sure. Um, Also at the beginning of an episode, we sometimes like to do a little myth busting. So let's get into it. Here's one for you. One has to make a choice for their career either work in a conventional job and make money or sacrifice it all, eat only ramen noodles, earn a little and save the world in the NGO sector. Is this true or false?
2: Well, I, I actually think that it's it's interesting that you talk about conventional and unconventional jobs, because when you're in the NGO sector, that is pretty much a conventional job. And when you're in the corporate sector, that's a conventional job too. So it depends on where you're looking at it. It's always the other side, right? Unconventional or greener grass or whichever way you want to state it. So it's actually neither true nor false, and it's both true and false. So look, it's it's 2021 now, the world has changed. And how? Purpose is at the heart of what the millennials, Gen Z, whatever other terminologies that they are looking for, it's not just the money, it's therefore purpose and money. Can you therefore get both? Of course. And that, in fact, is the new normal. Hmm. Create a living and make a difference. So is that true or false? I think it's both.
0: I think this is a wonderful answer because this is all about, you know, this is why we want to bust these myths, right? It's not the not-for-profit space, um, working on impact and sustainability. It's not an unattainable, mythical thing. It's out there. Those are real jobs. We can, like, deploy really interesting skill sets all in one. But I have another myth for you. Um, In terms of exciting career aspirations, only the big names like the WWF, Greenpeace, Amnesty are, you know, worthwhile pursuing in the not-for-profit space. Because the smaller NGOs, they don't have an impact anyways, right? Is that true or false?
2: So, I I love the true or false because I can't tell the difference anymore as as these lines (laughs) blur between the NGOs and the new holistic organizations. Uh, and and this is really true from what I'm experiencing in my own life, and what I'm reading about and looking at outside over there, because businesses are being created with people and planet and purpose at their at their core, mm. just as what you always associated the NGOs and the big the big NGOs that you just mentioned, uh, Tom. So you know we've got a situation where those lines are blurring, and you've got businesses doing good, and you've got NGOs that are assisting businesses. So you could be in either. You could be making a difference in both. And uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in a big NGO or in a small NGO. It ultimately comes down to what kind of partnerships are you creating to make a difference in the area that you're working in. So you can make a difference whether you're in the corporate sector, scale-up, startup, or a big NGO or a small
0: one sensational this would be keep saying to our audience as well bring your values to work with you and make your organization live them too so this is fantastic nikki you've got one more right i
1: have one more for you and looking at the news it all seems a bit hopeless cause doesn't it environmental degradation is rampant social injustice everywhere it's all a bit of a lost cause are we too late to make a difference
2: you're talking to an eternal optimist here all right (laughs) you're also talking to me on the day we're looking at the, at the verdict that came out on the, on the George Floyd case, right? So that's social injustice being taken care of. On, and I think that that is a moment. So we are talking about hopefully a new path to social justice in, in, in a way. On the environmental sense, you know, humanity has a lot to answer for, but it eventually does get its act together, even if it's at the last minute or the last second. And this is where I believe in the power of technology and its inevitable collision, if you will, with desperation. So whether it's electric cars, whether it's newfound battery storage, whether it's new food systems, whether it's renewable energy becoming cheaper than fossil fuel, these are all technological realities that we've seen come together in the last 10 years. And if you go back, you know, 20 years, there was... The, the famous Montreal protocol, right? Mm. Where you had the CFCs being phased out because you had the, the ozone hole. Uh, and, and today the ozone hole is almost closed because technology came to the fore. Again, at the last minute, just keep watching, things will happen. So for me, things are never a hopeless cause. There is always, there is always that moment of stoppage time when you can make a difference.
1: You have brought that brilliantly to the fore and and what we're going to talk about next is having impact. And and you've just brought, you know, you've just said it there and, and talking about this month. And you've also mentioned about George Floyd. There's so much happening in the States right now, which, you know, again, still a lot of work to do. But for sure, we can definitely make an impact as people. This whole month is dedicated to career paths with impact, um, either sustainability or social causes, as we've already mentioned. But it's very hard taxing work, but also very sexy. Tell us about Singapore Suds. So tell us about Ivory Lane.
2: This this has really gotta be my, my all-time favorite case study that I was I was not as I was not brilliant enough to create it, but I was fortunate enough to be associated with it. It was created by by the the good people at WWF Singapore. And this was with relation to the to the ivory ban or the lack of it that existed in Singapore. Now just to give you can I take a quick minute to give you a bit of a background for your for your listeners. Oh so all the the time that uh, you weren't. Wonderful. So the ivory ban situation is complicated. It goes back to 1989 when there was a CITES ruling around ivory and the ivory ban, and therefore countries had their own ivory bans come into place, but there were loopholes around ivory that existed before 1989, ivory that existed after 1990, etc., etc. That loophole was being exploited and is being exploited in multiple places. We had been obviously talking to the Singapore government about this as WWF. I'm no longer part of WWF, so I must acknowledge that. And the the team had obviously been talking over the years. But while there was a ban in place, you could still buy ivory. And our undercover work showed that you could go to at least 40 stores and buy shops and buy it. You could buy it in several online uh, forums, etc. So... They decided, the team decided that they needed to do something which was different from what was being done earlier, which was just keeping it in the corridors and talking to the legislators and talking to the people in uh, in the positions Mm. who were going to make a difference. So they said, let's take it out to the people and get the people involved in this discourse and hopefully in the final decision and shift the thinking. And that was a really, really bold move because the, the, the complexity of the ivory laws made people a bit fuzzy, you know. Is it banned? Is it not banned? Yes, we think it's banned. But what's this stuff about old ivory? So it was all very fuzzy. So what WWF Singapore did was something quite sensational. Within the confines of the law, and this itself was a message, within yeah. the confines of the law, they launched a legal ivory shop online. And that was called Ivory Lane. No way. Okay, so this was not overtly done by WWF because that would have sort of blown it straight away, but it was done by this company called Ivory Lane. And it was basically selling um, ivory trinkets and ivory products, uh, all kinds of stuff, very high-end, beautiful Advertising to support a great social media presence, very top of the line, must have it as nature intended, kind of thing. Own a little piece of your heritage or of African heritage. This is the kind of positioning that was put out there. And people suddenly took notice of this and they said, What's this? How is it so easy to get so blatant about ivory? Because they didn't realize that actually doing something like this was was in fact legal, because all the other stores, they do it, they do it quietly, it's either in a back room or it's sort of undercover, but not overtly advertised, definitely. But suddenly this was being advertised, and it started gaining momentum, and it started trending, and people started expressing their disgust and their indignation at it, and we fueled it. Uh, the, the team fueled it, and they issued letters saying, "We understand that there has been some consternation about this. Why? this is legal. This is you know, part of heritage. this is this has been going on for many years in many countries, including our very own. So you know, please go ahead and order your your ivory products kind of thing, which only fueled it further. And this escalated the the issue very dramatically and i as a you know for a moment as a as a just as a citizen in singapore was suddenly being contacted by people who normally would never get involved in conservation related issues and they were saying have you seen this what do you guys have to say about it and that i knew that we had then hit the mainstream because it had now spilt out from what would have been traditionally the the conservation sector mm. We've, we tracked the discussion literally on an hour to hour basis while we kept uh, our stakeholders engaged which were largely in the in the government that this is happening this is trending this is this is looking like it's going to be quite big and what we had thought would have been a three week campaign actually ended up being just a one week campaign because it hit uh, levels that we did not think that we would I mean we literally touched every single person in in Singapore uh, all of our social and regular media um, engagement figures and reach figures crossed five million. We had more than wow. one hundred and fifty thousand engagements, active engagements on on social media, primarily facebook uh, and and the you could not but help take notice of this so we sort of packaged all of this information and of course we then revealed it to the public that look this was us here's what here's the reality behind ivory and people really came down hard on that and said we need tougher legislation it is a shame for us to be able to live with stuff like this and not do anything about it this gave us enough momentum to take it to the to the relevant ministries to the relevant uh, environmental agencies who then did their own work as a result of this, and exactly 12 months later instituted what is to date the toughest ivory ban in the world at a country level. So it's serving as a model for many countries to follow. Uh, but it was really, it really did plug all the loopholes, uh, and it was uh, fascinating to see how you could actually take what at that point in time was a 28-year-old issue. Anywhere in the world and including in Singapore, but reignite it and reinvigorate it just by involving the the society, just by involving the people and saying, this is happening. If we can explain it to you, will you come come to the table? And they did in droves. So that was Ivory Lane, one of the best moments that I can remember from my time, my decade at WWF.
0: This is such an incredible story. I've heard it before last <laughs> year. Because so for those of you out there listening, uh, I met suits actually last year when I did my masters in international affairs and policy making in Geneva, and he came and told the story of Ivory Lane with a wonderful support deck. And um, we'll be sure to fish for some imagery and some videos and media coverage and link it in the show notes down below. So whatever podcast player you use, just open it and we're gonna hyperlink all the stuff because look at the imagery, the audacity and the nerve of making this look like a hot and sexy and Influencer campaign to appeal to society's base desire to do good there is hope out there only you need to be determined actually go for it so anybody here listening if you think you can only do big campaigns by working for a large sports brand think again this is super so um You know, this tells us the power of this entrepreneurial spirit, you know, but it was sensational not only through what it achieved, but also through the internal boundaries that you had to push within the WWF. Last month, um, we had an um, incredible entrepreneurs on the show, but we are yet to really talk about entrepreneurs. So if you bring entrepreneurial spirit into the organization that you work with. So can you elaborate a little bit more about what it took for this initiative to actually be greenlit internally?
2: So that, that was actually, a, a, that's a great question. And that's a great learning for, for me as well, because it really was that. It was, it was about trying to ignite that entrepreneurship in, in, within the organization, which is anything but, right? And it's a, it's a much more studied, policy-led conservation organization. And something like this just did not sit well with everybody. So it was, it was quite divisive. Some people loved it. Uh, some people hated it. It was very marmite, as some people would say. <laughs> but it required a certain <laughs> amount of internal management and a certain amount of internal uh, guidance, if you will. Uh, so we had there were several layers. So you know, you had these the office itself, which was actually putting the uh, the, the proposition forward, and that had its own board of trustees who needed to be sure that what was being put out there was legally within the boundaries of of their jurisdiction. And, And if so, what was, and if it went wrong, what was the reputation risk? So that needed to be mapped out before anything could have been greenlit internally within that office. Then you look at the next layer of the concentric circle around it, which is in the region as to how does this affect the offices in the region or the countries in the region, because there 's ivory sensitivity in many parts of Asia, as you know, you know China is the biggest consumer of ivory products, and, and this is we 're talking twenty thousand ivory twenty thousand elephants a year that 's the appetite for ivory, uh, which is quite a staggering number when you think about it and what could be the repercussions of that and then there 's the third layer, which is the international. Uh, organization that we're talking about. What are the repercussions of a program of this kind or a campaign of this kind uh, in in other countries, which are far removed but are obviously very close to the ivory situation? So, it was really a question of defining and managing stakeholders across the board. Uh, not, but not that. You could get everybody to agree, but you still needed to manage them, and uh, you needed to protect the team that was delivering. And I played a bit of a role in helping to protect the team so that they could proceed with their uh, activity uh, while we managed some of their environment. And of course, nothing succeeds like success. And when you know when the ban did occur. Some of that criticism did, uh, did die out because there was recognition that this had been a powerful campaign that triggered a powerful ban. But it, 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 does, it does take a fair amount internally in any organization, let alone externally, to be able to bring that sense of entrepreneurship or intrapreneurship internally.
1: And you speak about all those layers, but You didn't have a massive timeline, did you? It was pretty short and you managed to build it in record time. Um, How did your network and internal network as well um, help? and, And how did you manage to activate people to get this done properly, especially internally, but also, I guess, a bit of external networking as well?
2: Well, the external networking, to be fair, was really with the team who were managing it because they managed the environment within Singapore in terms of the government or in terms of any of the other stakeholders. Within the network, in my international role, I was dealing with a a certain set of people who I was managing. Um, Again, sometimes it's as simple as making sure people are aware of Mm. what you're doing and why. They don't have to agree. And this is where sometimes we forget that stakeholder management doesn't always mean getting consensus or agreement. And as long as people are aware what you're doing and why, and therefore can they manage their risks, that allows you to then proceed with whatever you need to. And I think that that's sort of the biggest learning for me coming out of that fairly complex situation. Uh, and I have all the admiration for the team that created it and pulled it off. My, my role in that was really, uh, you know, to a large extent to stand back and applaud.
0: To stand back and applaud and just see this whole spectacle unfold. It's such a wonderful thing. We used to, back in my you know corporate job from two months ago, um, we used to call this friend raising in a way, right? We wanted to make sure that people are aware and give them what they needed to sort of rally to your cause. Um, to but even more complicatedly so you also had forces at play that didn't necessarily agree right so the industry the government said you know whatever it's been around for absolutely ever we don't want to enforce this so making allies out of opposers and rallying them around you is a really powerful skill that um, I would love us to talk about a little bit more because you've had experience with it so do you have any hot tips for our audience that might work in stakeholder engagement and wants to leverage networks and um, break into new networks that wouldn't be receptive of them in the past any hot tips on how to go about that
2: I don't know if it's a hot tip, but I can just share my, my <laughs> learning You're on it. You're
1: saving them till I'll, the end, Tom. Would are just not <laughs> <sorry>. um, <I'm laughs> too excited. I'll
2: let, I'll let uh, people decide whether it's a hot tip or not. But the one thing that I would say, and I have to remind myself to do the same thing, is don't always look to sell. Sometimes you just need to listen. And sometimes you just need to share your point of view about a certain topic or about a certain campaign or about a certain view on an issue. Because bringing people into a discussion itself is very powerful. You will not always get people to come onto your platform, but you can get people to recognize recognize where you stand. But in order to do that, you need to understand where they stand. And I think that that's why the listening part is sometimes not not just uh, underrated but forgotten mm. and and it's important to understand you know where does the where does the government stand on this and why and therefore where do we stand on this and why and i think that that opening that exchange or getting to a point where you can exchange that information is already quite good but because if you approach it from a point of confrontation you are automatically creating a win lose and that is not going to necessarily do anything about creating, I don't even know about allies out of opposers, but it's not even going to create a listener out of an opposer. Mm. And I think that creating a listener out of an opposer is already half the battle won.
1: It's brilliant that you bring up listening as a skill as well, because we're going to go into network and skill sets, which we talk about a lot on our on our podcast for people, especially, you know, new new career starters or people switching careers. What are the skills that they need to bring with them? So talking about that, being aware of your skill set is so crucial, especially when moving between industries. Can you tell us a bit more about your career journey and how your skill set has developed over time? And, and I guess things you learned over those different jobs, as you just mentioned, listening is probably one of the biggest things that you, you probably have. So what else can you bring and, and tell the audience the skills that you had over your career?
2: So I, I think that some of the learnings, that, and it got better as you do it more, funny how that works. But mm-hmm. it, it's basically, I think it's really about the listening is without a doubt. And identifying people who you should listen to, you know, who you can really learn from, people who actually have that depth and that insight that you can learn from. They may not directly have a, a an impact on your role or your job, but they certainly have a massive role in terms of you understanding the context and the industry you function in. And I think that people sometimes don't put that at the forefront, especially when you're moving between industries because you know you're bringing a certain skill set but you don't necessarily know the industry what you try to do is you're going to try and fit that skill set into this new industry and you can't do that by just honing your skill set you need to hone your skill set in the context of that industry so you need to listen to people you need to talk to people you need to get uncomfortable go out and talk to people you need to study and and that's as as much as people hate to do it You need to read. You need to read things that are from the company, from the industry, and from people who are writing about the industry. You need to understand what are the views that exist out there and process it and distill it finally for yourself in order to apply your skill set to the industry or that component of the industry that you're going to be functioning in. So I think that that's a really important thing that get in there and network. You want to get into the NGO sector, you go into one NGO that you're working in, but go and talk to 20 NGOs because they are all in the same sector. Some of them may be in the same kind of work as you do. Some of them may be dramatically different, but go and research the sector. And and I really push teams that I have worked with to do that. I say, who are you meeting this week? I want you to make sure that you have at least one external meeting in the sector in a month. Because by the end of the year, you would have met at least the top 10 people uh, that you should be talking to. And you'll know 10 NGOs. Otherwise, you're going to be working just within your own uh, tent. And and you need to expand that thinking. So I I think that the, the importance of being able to get out there, talk, read, study, and now there's so much to learn online. You really have no excuse. You need to do
0: that. Okay, this speech segment may have been my favorite (laughs) ever because you've done a couple of really spectacular things here, possibly without even noticing. One, you've Given a qualifier to the power of reading and the power of studying. It's not just about reading and holding information, it's about making it your own. As you said, dissimilate it, dissect it, make it your own. If you're in a conversation with somebody, they don't want you to recite a book at them and sort of like bring um, cheap uh, sort of like paragraphs their way. They want your interpretation, your take on it It needs to feel natural. So just reading is not enough. Make it your own, fit it into your story. So that was just genius. what i wanted to challenge you on is through i wanted to say three examples but i might not be able to remember all of them now um one how has you know skill sets that you have accumulated over your career you said you worked in corporate but then also in tech how have they helped you open doors to then make your career transition into the WWF, for example? You know, because they were um, maybe there was just something in tech in your knowledge about um, software that was you know really fit for the 21st century that they needed at the time. I'm going to stop here because I'd like to know what you have to say.
2: Right. Okay. Well, I'll I'll also address some of this or some part of this when we get to the end. Ooh. But um, I I think that. Um, you know the it, it's really sometimes about being able to identify and distill down to that red thread. What is that? What is that transferable skill that you're actually bringing to the to the party, so to speak? And and it could be applicable in a tech environment or a corporate environment or a NGO environment. But you need to be able to identify what is it that you're bringing there? Are you bringing a certain understanding. Are you bringing a method of thinking? Are you bringing a very specific skill? And I think that that is really what has allowed. And I've been very lucky to be able to get people who would take the bet and say, "Okay, I think he might be able to take a gander at this, or he might be able to take a shot at this because he seems to have a certain understanding about this." And I think that that's really what it is about. It's it's isolating what it is that you can bring to the table uh, by, by way of experience or by way of learning, uh, which could be a combination of experience and external. It doesn't always have to be from experience. And that, that is something that I would bring to, uh, to, to my closing where you've asked me to keep a couple of things.
0: <laughs> I love it. Okay, challenge number two. See, I did actually remember. Challenge number two. And I am challenging for a concrete example. I'll throw you one. My first, my entry into the corporate world, for example, was it was I battered against the application platform. I sent CV after CV. I tried to get in. I even I just went into that office <laughs> in my Zara blazer and demanded to speak to the human resources officer. The receptionist and also trained security staff refused me and my request, so I had to leave. So in the end, my entry into the corporate world was facilitated through a strategically hosted dinner because I knew somebody that knew somebody that knew a manager in the division where I wanted to work. And so we pinged out an invitation and they all sort of arrived at the dinner party where I could make friends. And then a week later, the phone call came. Hey, we have an open position. We know you're looking. Do you want to come aboard? That's how I got my start. So do you have a story like this where somebody in your network actually was that one critical figure that led you to uncover your next opportunity, especially as you've transitioned between not only jobs, but career paths so many times?
2: Yeah, look, there's. I, I love that story, and I and I think that that story for me goes back to some of the things I was talking about. Right? I mean, these are stakeholders. These are people you were listening to. These were people you were making connections via via, and you were getting them together at a dinner. And it wasn't just when they showed up at the dinner that you said, "Yeah, you need to give me a job." Mm-hmm. You sort of had that platform where you engaged, and I think that that's such a powerful. Uh, learning, you know, just listening to that story. In terms of an example from me, well, um, I'm not entirely sure which one I should take. There's a couple there, uh, which uh, I, will, I will allow you to then edit out whichever one you want to use. Um, I, I actually, when I, when I was transitioning from the television industry, I used to run MTV for Southeast Asia in the bad old days. Ooh. And, uh, I was, uh, at that point in time, there was this funny thing called the, the internet that was beginning to happen. <laughs> and, uh, and I was sort of, you know, I like technology. I was wondering what this is and, you know, what, what is the implication of this? But I never really thought about it as a, as a business. Uh, For myself, at least, I mean, of course, it was, you know, Web 1.0. There were many crazy businesses happening at that time. And I had a mentor, right? And my mentor who had helped me in my early days in advertising at J. Walter Thompson, and he used to be a a big guy at Unilever, was now based in the U.S. and I was in the U.S. on work. So I decided to meet him and I said, "Okay, look, this is what I'm thinking about. You know, I'm looking at these television companies and and I sort of gave him the whole spiel and he just listened to me and then, you know, he was a really wise man and, and that's a real, he'll always stay with me in, in, in my vision. And he said, you know, if I was your age, right, and I was like a feisty 32 or something at that moment and he said, if I was your age, I would find out what this internet is all about. Hmm. And he just left it at that. And I tell you, just that one sentence stayed with me for six months, and it banged around in my head, and I just, every day I would learn more, read more, understand more, go out and talk to people I'd never met to say, what is this internet all about? Six months from that date, together with a, with a few partners, I launched our digital music business, which then went for 10 years and was eventually acquired by Motorola, so that you know, for me was was such a wonderful moment because it was just one sentence. He didn't lecture me, he didn't berate me, nothing. He just said one thing which stuck. Uh, and it allowed me to sort of go out there and practice all the things that I, I've sort of been thinking about, you know, learning, studying, talking to people yeah. uh, and taking it further.
1: I want to know how long... A digital asset or video took to upload in those first few days <laughs> first few years because <laughs> yes. it's annoying now sometimes imagine back then
2: <laughs> Oh God, oh you don't even want to know I mean at that time we had you know these music files which were like these massive you know two megabyte megabyte files, and uh, they would take you know hours to upload and we you know it, it was but it was it was the the vision right it was I still remember in in 1999, talking to the music industry and saying, by 2020, most of your music is going to be digital. And they would say, all right, get out of my office. (laughs) And, and, you know, I was looking through some papers and I sent it through to some of my previous colleagues just a, a couple of weeks ago. And I sent them our projections from 1999. And I said, guess what? The reality exceeded our projections and we had a bit of a laugh, Uh, but it it was tremendous. It was a hell of a journey. ahead of the curve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What an amazing story. We'll we'll have to talk more after the show about that. Um, Back working into the NGO land, as someone who swam in waters of both major NGOs and smaller players, please tell the audience, if there's someone out there aspiring to get involved in conservation or social impact work, where should they look? What, what places should they go to can you give us some good examples of where they can go like platforms like websites like uh what are their chat, room, chat rooms but, you know events things like that that they can actually go to now while they're listening and, and check it out
2: right so look i think it's really important for people who are interested in making a difference of of you know furthering a certain cause to be very clear on what that difference is that they're looking to make you know whether it be environmental, whether it be social, whatever, right? And once you understand it, don't restrict yourself to where you know that I'm going to do this because this NGO does it. No, understand the issue and understand the actors who are involved in that. Understand the businesses. So let's take an environmental example, right? So let's say you're dealing with an environmental issue related to energy or whatever. Look at There is a bunch of NGOs that are working on it. There are businesses that are working on energy for the future. Understand where the technology is coming from and where it's intended to go. That's where the change is happening, because Mm. ultimately the NGO will strive to make that change or part of the legislation. Today, when an NGO talks about the need for countries to adopt renewable energy, if you unpack that, What are they talking about? They're talking about the technology that allowed for renewable energy to happen. So that is the real kernel. That is the real core of what people should try and get to as to where is that change happening and how can I be part of that? Can I be part of the technology? Can I be part of the business that furthers it? Or can I be part of the NGO that works on the legislative side to it? Mm. So, You know, as a person at InFarm, which is a vertical farming company contributing to the global food revolution, there are multiple players in this sector, you know, whether it's been protein substitutes, dairy alternatives, vertical farms, greenhouses, and there's a solid dose of technology. So you can decide that I want to make a difference with food and technology, and you've got a huge array already to choose from. So you need to understand that, and you must also take the time to understand you know how does policy work how do the multilaterals work how does the public private space work and how can you insert those technology what's the connecting tissue if you will between the uh, bet- between the technology and the technology solutions mm. and these Uh, multilateral organizations and the legislative environment how does it go into the broader sphere Hmm. and impact more than just your business or just your company's output
0: i really like the way in which you have unpacked nikki's question because it is such a like with any topic, You know, I want to have a career in marketing. Where do I start? It depends. You know, what skill sets work for you? What are you interested in? It's not that marketing is a skill set, per se. You've just said, you know, there's something in agriculture. There's something for scientists. There's something for political scientists. There's something for communications people. So start. And also the other point that you mentioned is you need to, again, do your research and do your homework. So, for instance, if you're interested in, you know, vertical farming, like um, like Sutz so is um, working on at the moment. Figure out what are the hashtags that this industry uses on social at the moment and follow those because by that mechanic, you will also uncover the organizations that are writing about this, so you have an idea, okay, these are the organizations that talk about it, then you'll slowly find out what is the event space, you know, where do organizations talk about this kind of stuff, because the events will use the same hashtags and the organizations will post about it, and then if you really want to get into any of these organizations present, you'll slowly figure out who's working for them, is it somebody that I know, that I have a mutual connection with, and this is how slowly, slowly you can, while you're, you know, while you're at university, or you're side hustling or you're looking to change your career you can uncover this network and find entry points for yourself
1: how oh, you'd be surprised how the world how small the world is mm. right like even i'm working at the moment it's like i realize as people that i know that have worked there or worked, you know, no people work there. The world is very small and Mm. you can just a bit of work at it. And then you'll suddenly things will open, Mm. you know, and even people that you went to school with or people you went to university with or for me in particular in the sports world has really helped me to do that. And it takes some time, but you, you know, you just have to look as well.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So we want to get into a bit of truth time. What is it actually like to work and move around in your careers as well so you've been tech business to WWF to freelancing and straight back to sustainability but what's what's it really like what motivated you to get involved in impact work in the first place and what have, what motivates you today as well
2: so I I have to admit that you know the impact work and the sustainability work sort of happened halfway through my career I I don't think that it was I was a conscious environmentally conscious person but I never actually married that to the concept that I could work with it and that happened when I was when I was uh, coming out of my entrepreneurship uh, days and there was the opportunity with the WWF and it, and at that point in time I had already started thinking so I'd literally just put it out there and the and the the WWF opportunity came uh, that it allowed me to think about sustainability and impact uh may, as as a core part of my journey, how do I make it part of my work and and I think that that was sort of the entry point and I would say that that's you know really halfway through my career and that was a very big motivator to learn about how it works how do you how do people get uh enrolled in the in the process how do they get engaged how does the legislative side work how does business work? This, this was actually very instructive over the last uh, 10, 11 years. And therefore, as I looked forward, I, w- I found it very difficult to imagine a world where I would be working without impact being at the core of what I'm delivering. And therefore, when the infarm opportunity came, it was, it was just, I-, I couldn't make it up. I mean, it was a combination of food, environment, impact, and technology. It was brilliant. It was just a... A uh, uh, one very potent mix coming together. And, and again, the impact is a very core part of that. So for me, it is now normal. It's going to be very difficult for me to be operating in a business or other forum without impact being at the core of what I'm doing. And this is also the thinking, like I mentioned earlier, for the younger generation, because for them, it's not possible to be thinking of business without an environmental or a social or a transparency aspect related to it. And, and you know, in some ways, maybe I'm just trying to be young, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, committed to to, you know, and I understand the way that they're approaching it, because if that does become the new normal in 20 years from today, businesses are going to look very, very different from the way that we look at businesses, to, uh, mm. you know, in, in our time.
0: You know, I'm, one, I'm really jealous about your position at Infarm because it sounds like the combination of things, though, and the skills that you get to exercise and the impact that, you get, that you're that you allowed to have. So I'm going to stay very close to the story. And if and when finally you decide to abandon the post, I'll be right there. <laughs> the other point that i want to just you know just translate it back to the audience because this is my ambition and i think it's Nikki's ambition as well you know for the social and environmental duo that we are look for jobs that have impact that can sort of that that can stimulate and give expression to this like little desire that we all have like you said you know i was an environmentally environmentally conscious person and then suddenly a career opened up and it was mesmerizing new and exciting and it wasn't a trade-off between having a proper job or you know doing something for the environment both is possible both is needed and the job market is asking for people with purpose so get out there and get to change the world together with us.
1: Yeah and don't lose hope I think Suds has just put it perfectly yeah. Like it, it was a multi- Multiple careers Before you came It all, suddenly all came together You know So don't forget that. It can happen at any stage of your career, right? And it happened very perfect timing for you, Suds, I'm sure. And Tom, don't worry, it's coming. It's on its It's way. Look, my mind is absolutely blown. Thank you so much, Suds. It's been amazing. We've so much to go away and think about. And yeah, just a massive thank you from me anyway.
0: And as always, as uh, promised at the beginning, Suds. So. What are the top three things you notice people aren't really doing as so they're thinking about their own career journeys and own career development that they should start doing? Immediatamente, when they're finished listening to uh, this closing segment um, of your is that podcast, a that's that new word you just made up? It's <laughs> Spanish, <laughs> which I don't speak, but I like to pretend to sometimes. Anyways,
1: right, so it's over to you. <laughs>
2: mm. Okay, all right. So very quickly,
1: these these are the.
2: It took me quite, I had to dig quite deep, right, to figure out these three things. But you know, I may have touched on these in in our discussion. So the first is, I would say, go back to school. The opportunities are endless and everything is online. Learn what you think you want to learn. Don't constrain yourself by what you think you should learn for your job. So if you have an interest in the most bizarre thing, which is not related to your current job, go and learn about it. Enroll in a course, maybe spend a little bit of money because then you'll be serious about it. But do it for yourself. You don't know when it's going to come back and support the next thing that you do. Go back to school, that's the first thing. The second thing is, do not let your last job define you. Okay, that's a Mm. bit controversial, unless of course you wanted to. So people are often the first people to put themselves into a box, get out of the box. Just don't let that last job define you because it'll prevent you from moving around and experiencing and learning new things around the world. The third thing, is experience different sectors. This I can tell you from my experience. Work in startups, work in corporate, work in NGOs, work in scale-ups. You learn more than you can ever do by staying in one sector. And Mm. importantly, you open your mind because the way people think in each of these sectors is dramatically different. And if you can bring the thinking of one type of sector into another one, that's gold dust. So you should do that. Move around in the different sectors. You learn so much, and you learn so much about people. It's fascinating. That's all I've got.
1: That's all you've got. Well, you've given us so yeah, exactly. Really? <laughs> you've given us so much over over this whole podcast through the podcast, and of course at the end, which is amazing for the audience for things to take away with them. But thank you so much again. It's been amazing. I'm delighted you came on the show.
2: Thank you. That was brilliant. I, I loved uh, working towards it. I really relish the opportunity and I, and I appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: No, thank you for your time. <laughs> so, so, dear audience member, if you've made it to the end of this episode, congratulations. And also, I bet that now you're quite stimulated to just listen to it all over again, this time with a notepad in hand, obviously. If you are here with us, please hop over to uh, our Instagram channel, if you have Instagram, naturally. It's Go Higher Podcast. It's also linked in the show notes down below. And let us know what you know what is what are your values and how are you seeking to bring them to your work to your social life to your lover if you liked what happened today we get plenty more in store for you
1: next week we have andy andrea in the virtual studio Andy will take us deep into the world of the united nations world economic forum and the big international players that you've probably heard of at some stage in your life but until then let's go get it (music)